It's November 1st, 2017, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ran Ozawa. First up, we're going to hear from Melly James. She returns this time to tell us about her latest startup, Mana Up, which she co-founded with Brittany Hyde. Very good. And of course, then we'll hear from Jolie Wagner from the Kaulunani Urban and Community Forestry Program, as well as Blair Langston from the UH College of Tropical Agriculture and Human Resources, or SITAR. And we'll talk about citizen science and becoming a citizen forester. That's right. Well, again, first up, let's welcome back Melly James, a regular on our show, along with Brittany Hyde, her co-founder, to tell us about launching this latest startup, Mana Up. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Bert. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, thanks for having us. So, you know, this is kind of exciting because, you know, Melly, you've been involved with all kinds of startups and accelerators, and now you're going to start up your own accelerator? Yep. Tell us all about this. How did this kind of come about? Yeah, so, you know, really looking at how can we look at innovation more broadly mm-hmm. and looking at truly Hawaii's regional strengths being its brand and how do we start capitalizing on that? We've got so many innovations, especially from entrepreneurs who are building wonderful products here. Uh, we look at trends happening in the industry with, you know, tourism and consumer spending looking for authenticity. Um, and how can we look at these innovative products that we're creating and help build out more of these small businesses and help them scale to really create an economic development initiative here in Hawaii mm-hmm. that is true to Hawaii? And Brittany, I'd like to hear how you and uh, Melly connected and how this whole thing came together. Of course. So. I came from Washington, D.C. I was a co-founder of 1776. We're a global incubator and venture fund. And I moved to Maui with my husband who grew up on Maui and always wanted to move back there. And one of my first friends was Melly James. (laughs) So it started that way. And we started talking about what could be good for Hawaii and what could a business that we could co-found look like. And we came across this idea and started working on it several months ago. Well, that's great. Now, Melly, you know, in terms of the kind of company or the kind of business that you would like to see come through Mana Up, what would that profile look like? Yeah, so we're looking for a few criteria. One is that they are retail or non-perishable food products, so shelf stable. Mm-hmm, Two, mm-hmm. it is it is a product, so these aren't services. Um, three, that it is leveraging the Hawaii brand in some way. Uh, four, that they are already in existence. Um, kind of a sweet spot is around fifty to 100000 in in revenue already. So they figured out a few things already, mm-hmm. um, and we're really helping them to scale. So we're taking them from you know six-digit re- annual revenue to hopefully seven. Mm-hmm. We're really trying to build the next 100 Hawaii CEOs with $1 million-plus annual revenue. I like that. So, Brittany, it's not necessarily an early-stage play where you've got a great idea or a great idea for a product, let's do something. It's you've got a product, but you're looking to get to the next level. Uh, uh, Melly mentioned retail. Is that essentially kind of the area that you specialize in or you have your strength? That's exactly right. So it's retail, but it's also looking at e-commerce as a main distribution platform for Hawaii products. Um, there are so many great things that are already being made in here here in Hawaii. How do we look internationally through other distribution platforms and e-commerce to really grow those markets? So, you know, in previous uh, um, startup and accelerator environments and the mentors or, the you know, the companies that you've mentored, a lot of them are tech-oriented. So I would imagine that the companies that get involved with Mana Up don't necessarily have to be in the tech arena. 
Yeah, we're finding a lot of these product companies are not tech savvy. Mm -hmm. And that is really an opportunity for us to help, especially with the e-commerce site that Brittany just mentioned. And yeah, so these are these are physical products. These are physical products that we see um, that are leveraging the brand of Hawaii and truly making it a competitive advantage um, for these products that are authentically from here. One of the first startups that I did was a T-shirt company, and we did lots of sales at a at a at a expo, right? What, and, Kukui High, right? And we had we had <laughs> we were the first people there to have a square reader. Mm-hmm. And at that point, that was like so new that people just lined up because, oh, wait, I can use a credit card. So I can agree that this sort of local manufacturer sort of area still has a lot of opportunities they can take advantage as a result of technology. So, uh, Brittany, um, not that you are announcing any members of your program at this point, but what would you say is uh, a profile that you're seeing a lot of interest in or a lot of potential in? Yeah, so we're seeing a lot of interest from food products, hmm. um, things that are value add. Um, and, you know, working with local farmers who may be producing something where they have extra, and they can turn it into something that may even become a bigger market than their original agricultural product. Mm-hmm. So that's been, that's a sweet spot. We're also looking at beauty products, handbags, other retail. What else, Melly? Salts, rubs, oils, lots of different things hmm. like that. You know, the profile of the typical sort of accelerator that might go to Accelerate UH or, or Blue Startups, I mean, they are looking for the, the sort of venture, the pre-venture capital type of company. In terms of the companies that you're looking for, are they, are they tracking along that particular timeline or path? Or are you looking for perhaps even smaller companies and maybe more the kind of the boutique industry? It's a little bit different. Um, a lot of these are more uh, small business uh, model. So focused on increase month over month in revenue and customers as opposed to follow on capital. That that being said, a lot of these companies, as they're building brands, there could be an acquisition in the future. So this doesn't completely rule out venture in the so future. So do you see, do you, see uh, you know, the model of, of putting in some money and getting some equity and, you know, that business model for Mana Up or do you see another sort of business model? So part of our business model is the e-commerce platform that we, okay. we are creating. Um, in the future, we will be building a fund and allowing for more opportunities for access to capital for these companies, many of which, especially in the product uh, arena, don't need millions of dollars to get going. It could be really in the form of, you know, 100000 200000 that could really make a huge difference for these products. For sure. So, Brittany, I mean, uh, in addition to helping them with the platform or do, getting into e-commerce, I would imagine that a lot of them might need help just working in optimizing their business to be able to scale that way or getting involved with some of the local funding uh, vehicles for manufacturing. So is this mentorship or guidance part of the Mana Up mission? That's right. So we've talked to a lot of people who are purchasers of these products on a mass scale. And one of the things that they've said is we would love to buy more made in Hawaii products, but we will often talk to companies and they won't be able to meet our demand. And so part of what we'll be doing is, one, working with these buyers who can place large orders, but then also working with the companies and seeing how can we scale up their operations so they can meet that demand. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the markets that you are looking to help these products enter into, is it just the domestic U.S. market or are you looking internationally as well? We're looking internationally as well. So it may be a different profile based on each company. Some it may be, you know, Asia, some it may be more mainland U.S. Mm -hmm. It will depend on each company. 
So, Melly, this is a new operation. You're just getting it launched. What can people look forward to as your next milestone, and where can they learn more information? Absolutely. So we are doing an open call for applications, which is open until November 30th. Our website is manauphawaii.com, and you can find all the information there. So we're really looking forward to meeting new entrepreneurs and um, looking at you know, broadening innovation and what that means for entrepreneurship here in Hawaii and small business, and, and excited to be getting started to be building um, this arena. Very excited. And, and when you get your first cohort, maybe we'll want to hear about that as well. I'm sure you will, and we'll be happy to come back on. (laughs) Well, you know, we got the name on the chair for you already, so, you know, we're already (laughs) used to your presence here. Well, we want to thank both Mele and Brittany for joining us today. Can I I want to just thank really quickly our title partner, Kamehameha Schools. Oh, yeah, they're Stacey Clayton. And Stacey Clayton, yeah. Yeah. And also um, our other partners, Ulupono Initiative, American Savings Bank, Castle & Cook, and Dole Plantation. And as well as HTDC and Innovate Hawaii. Thanks, guys. Oh, sure thing. (laughs) Roll credits. (laughs) Again, thank you, Mele and uh, Brittany, for joining us. Thanks, Thanks, Bert. Thanks, Ryan. And, of course, we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Jolie Wagner and Blair Langston. We'll talk talk about citizen forestry. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting, Sacred Hearts Academy, and Urgent Care Hawaii. My name is Amy Hennessy, and I'm from Ulupono Initiative, and we're proud to be supporters of Hawaii Public Radio through the underwriting program. The decision to be an underwriter for Hawaii Public Radio was really clear. We had been pretty quiet about the work that we were doing. We wanted to just do the work, and we found that it was important for people to understand a little bit more about who we were and what we were trying to do, and we felt like Hawaii Public Radio was the right place to get that message out. Hawaii Public Radio Underwriting. Your message heard here. Welcome back to Bike Marks Cafe. Now joining us are Jolie Wagner and Blair Langston. Jolie is the program coordinator coordinator for Kaulunani Urban and Community Forestry Program. Meanwhile, Blair is a graduate assistant in the Breadfruit Phenology Citizen Science Project. And of course, how can citizens get involved with helping Hawaii's trees, all variety of trees? We want to welcome you both to Bike Marks Cafe. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good, good to be here. Welcome. You know, we always get uh, excited about citizen science. And, of course, when we heard about this uh, sort of citizen forester as well as this breadfruit project, I thought, wow, we've got to get these folks on and talk about these things. And coincidentally, what, it's Arbor Day coming up this weekend, right? So that's this is sort of celebrate, you know, to celebrate that. So, Jolie, tell us a little bit about this um, citizen forester program. And, and, and how did you come about the idea of getting citizens involved with, you know, sort of mapping out trees? Well, um, a couple of years ago, we got into a conversation with the city's division of urban forestry. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking for years about what can we do to support the program. Um, they had sort of a pro- public relations um, issue where they wanted to be able to um, reach out to the public and help them to better appreciate their trees. And at the same time, they don't know, they don't have a lot of information about the trees that they manage. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, well, let's see if we can kind of work towards getting both of those things addressed. Mm-hmm. And so um, we developed this pilot program. Um, last year, we start launched it in Kailua. 
and um, we train volunteers to go out and measure and identify and map the trees in along the streets and parks that are managed by the city. And um, uh, along the way, <laughs> they meet uh, you know their neighbors and. Um, get into conversations and become basically ambassadors for the trees in the communities. And it's been a really great success. So now we're expanding. So how did you go out there and actually assemble all these volunteers? Was there a, a call to participate in this particular program? And, you know, everybody that showed up, you gave them the tools to go out there and map, you know, the trees? Well, initially we reached out through some of our partners, like the Outdoor Circle, and um, master gardeners, so people that were likely to be interested. And they helped us to reach out to the members, and um, the, those people signed up as volunteers. Mm. Um, we did, you know, do sort of a community outreach as well at um, the I Love Kailua Town Party and, and other community events. But um, then we, once we had a cohort of folks sign up, we did train them and, um, you know, we do a pretty intensive training so that they're well prepared to take the, the measurements that the city would, you know, believe that the data they're collecting is accurate. So the city itself doesn't have this specific database. I mean, I know there's like the uh, notable trees or, you know, exceptional, exceptional yeah. trees program, but yeah. this is all trees or at least um, many more that you're trying to help them keep track of. Yeah, it's actually kind of funny because the way that the city manages their trees is they have these contracts and they have a list of the trees that they um, manage. But they're all um, – it's basically by street. They would mm. say, okay, we we know that on this street – and it could be a long street like King Street <laughs> or something. <laughs> you know, they'll say, oh, we have, you know, 50 shower trees on King Street. Well, you know, that doesn't give us a whole lot of information to go on. Um so we're hoping, you know, and through this citizen science project, we are um, getting them a lot more detailed and accurate information. The trees are mapped so you can go online and see exactly the location. And um, an added really cool thing is you can – it'll calculate the benefits of those trees once we've taken the measurements. Fantastic. And uh, well, I want to get to the, the how do you quantify the benefits of a tree? Yeah. Uh, but I do want to talk to Blair about the program that you're sort of heading up sure. over at the uh, College of Tropical Ag, which is really kind of looking at breadfruit specifically, and and maybe kind of I, I term it you know adopt a breadfruit tree, but yeah. you know there's probably more to it than that. Yeah. So I'm I'm working with Dr. Noah Lincoln from the Department of Tropical Plants and Soil Sciences. And the overarching theme that, that we're trying to get at is to make food production local, mm -hmm. more local in Hawaii. So, you know, you hear numbers of, that about 90% of our food is imported. So we would like to start supporting breadfruit as an emerging staple crop that's very nutritious um, here in Hawaii. So we're calling to volunteers looking for citizen scientists to help us gather data about the phenology of breadfruit. So phenology is is really for the purposes of our project it's it's the fruiting and flowering of breadfruit and for breadfruit it's very variable and it's very sensitive to climate so we would like to map it statewide in order to better prepare producers for their farming seasons so you know how can they prepare when their breadfruit is fruiting what can they do with their kalo and just kind of um getting ready to 
to, to produce it better that way. I know CTAR does a lot of work with farmers and a uh, startup I'm involved with is working with CTAR as well. Um, so versus uh, maybe city trees or public trees and public spaces, you're looking for either uh, people who have plots of land where they can start to grow breadfruit or actual operating farms who can maybe diversify their crops to include breadfruit? Yes. Yeah, so the, the idea is that um, a person who wants to volunteer would have to have access to an already full-grown tree that's that's fruiting and flowering. So whether they have one in their backyard or if they need help finding one, there are a lot of um, local farms that are willing to have volunteers come and visit their farm. Or I know there's trees at the university, and I walk past them every day. Mm. I could adopt one of those trees. Um, now, what if you happen to see a breadfruit tree in your neighbor's yard and <laughs> say, oh, I want to adopt that tree? Uh, obviously, you have to get some permission to do that, or maybe you would discourage that from happening, and <laughs> and maybe encourage the owner of that tree to maybe adopt the tree. I mean, how would you, how would you manage that situation? Well, that, I've thought about that quite a bit, and I think you would you would have to have a relationship with your neighbor already before you ask permission to go into their yard. So I've had a couple conversations. They're like, "Oh, I don't have a tree, but my neighbor does." I'm like, "Oh, you should definitely go talk to them about it." <laughs> Now, I, I also want to ask you this question because <clears throat> I'm sure you've, you've toyed with this in your mind. So you create a database. You have all the locations of the breadfruit trees and probably will now get uh, uh, an indication of when all the breadfruit is ready for harvest. Exactly. Now, maybe I would look at that uh, database and go, oh, wow, I'm going to go check out that tree because all the breadfruit is ready to harvest. Some people might say, oh, I don't want to put my information about my breadfruit tree up because you're going to have people like Bert Lam coming around and picking the right. breadfruit. Right. What are you going to do about that? So that information is, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's, we're not releasing people's addresses and okay. things like that to the public, but it's more general patterns we're looking for. You know, so like in Kona on Big Island, when is breadfruit mm. fruiting versus, you know, um, Kailua on Oahu, mm-hmm. and how can we prepare people statewide to manage their crops better? That's mm-hmm. a definitely an interesting, yeah. interesting project as yeah. well. So, Jolie, uh, on your side, just helping map all the trees on public thoroughfares, sides of roads, and things like that. Um, how do you articulate, as Bert said, the value of a tree? When I hear that, I'm like, well, they just want to make sure it's not too tall that it falls on a house <laughs> or it doesn't hit a, a power line. But clearly there are more benefits than just public safety to a database like that. Oh, definitely. Um, well, trees have many, many benefits that we realize, and they're a huge community asset. And they have benefits, social benefits, um, health benefits, Um, environmental benefits, and so on. And we can actually quantify that pretty accurately. Um, There was a study done on local trees that did a lot of specific measurements, and it it, it created basically these algorithms that are linked to different types of trees that is um, into a database called um, iTree, a program that's funded by the Forest Service. Hmm. And that is tied in to our um, mapping software, which is called Tree Plotter. So every time that you put um, a tree on the map and collect the information, it automatically calculates all of those benefits. Hmm. So, um, Jolie, you know, the, one of the benefits of a tree, and, and I see this downtown, all over the places, you know, the monkey pod tree, and the monkey pod tree has a huge canopy. And the canopy, for people who appreciate shade, which I do, uh, is a very cooling effect. 
right? Mm-hmm. So you want to have trees that are contributing to this large canopy and, of course, you know, shading areas of pathways. Uh, are the people that are helping you map these trees able to quantify in some manner the canopy? Um, yes. We, we measure the canopy and the spread of the canopy, the density, the depth, mm-hmm. you know, or height of the canopy. Um, and all of those things go into those benefits calculations. Um, but as, in addition to that, we, um, our organization, Smart Trees Pacific, um, contracted a study on urban tree canopy. And we, and that is a remote sensing study. Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So you're actually doing some aerial, <coughs> aerial yeah. footage and do some estimates that way. Yeah. I do want to talk a little bit about the actual programs that you have your citizen scientists go out there and use. So we will hold that thought. We'll be right back at this short break to continue our conversation with both Jolie uh, Wanger and Blair Langston, both uh, talking about citizen science and citizen forester. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Inter-Island Solar Supply, Kaiser Permanente, and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And if you're just joining us, we're talking to Jolie Wanger and Blair Langston about helping map and identify Hawaii's trees. And, of course, both of these uh, citizen science projects, I think, have the ability to enable, equip the, the citizens to go out there and actually map any of these trees. So, Blair, tell us, what do people go out there and actually do, uh, you know, with the breadfruit tree? I mean, are they just reporting it? sort of manually, or is there some uh, application that is tied into this process? Sure. So all of the information they gather will be entered onto our website. Um, But if that's not accessible or easy, um, you can also enter your data over the phone or by email. And we have sheets online. You can fill it out manually and send them to us as well. But what, uh, what a volunteer would do is go out to a tree and create a tree profile. Mm-hmm. So the profile will include the estimated height of the tree, the diameter of the tree, um, the variety, if you can, um, the location, like the location, um, elevation, sunlight, some important factors that we're interested in learning about um, the trees. And then you would create the profile, and then after that, you can start submitting surveys. And you can do it on your phone. So if you're if you're savvy with your smartphone, you can log into the website, log into your account, open your tree profile, and you would be counting the fruit and the flowers on the tree. Oh. So you would go out and say, oh, there's about um, six six fruit today and about six flowers, and, and you would enter it in on your phone, mm-hmm. and it's pretty mm-hmm. easy. And is it like an adoption, like you're saying, that I will – commit to monitoring and reporting on this specific tree? Yeah, so we say adopt, and it's just kind of like a cute, fun way to think about to think about the tree. Um, so you would commit to uh, hopefully a year mm. of monitoring your tree, and you would visit it every other week and write down your observations. Do you get to name your tree? You can, of course. Sure. Actually, <laughs> Now I'm thinking of the social network of trees. You talk about profiles and all the measurements like tree book or, right. or, or tree <laughs> Plants love to be talked to, so oh. I, I encourage it. So it, it, seems, it seems like quite a, bit commit, 
quite a bit of a commitment, which um, can turn people off. But the actual taking observations every other week only takes about 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Jolie, you mentioned iTree. Is that the primary platform for citizen reporting for the survey that you're helping the city with? Um, it, no, actually, iTree is, is something something that we use, but oh, our see, program is called Tree Plotter. Tree Plotter, that's right. Yeah, and it's um, an online application, and it's it's very pretty easy to use. Um, we can also use paper data sheets if if there's, you know, the only thing you really need is a, is a internet connection, and um, the you basically would create a point on the map. You have like an image of the where you are on like a Google map, and you would create a point with your finger by touching the screen and then you would have a data sheet there and you enter all the information and it automatically is saved into our system and then you have a tree on the map. Mm-hmm. I like <laughs> this, treeplotter.com. And it's are you tree inventory. organizing, how do you organize your sort of citizen forester? Are you, I know you're providing some training so that's part of it, right? And then once the training is done, do you have scheduled sort of meetups where you deploy your volunteers? Yeah, because we have um, equipment that we provide and um, team leaders that provide some quality control, we have them meet up in groups and they work in teams of three Mm -hmm. to collect the data. So somebody's maybe working the um, tree plotter, somebody is, um, you know, doing some certain measurements and, and somebody's doing some others and it's pretty efficient that way. I kind of like the idea of how you said using these larger data sets to come up with information. Let's say your survey finds, you know, 2,000 trees downtown versus only 1,500 trees five years ago. And you can Mm -hmm. also look at the ambient temperature. Urban areas tend to be very developed and very hot. And you're saying, hey, with more trees, the temperature comes down and people are more comfortable that way. So I can definitely see kind of that approach when you are enlisting an individual uh, tree spotter to be part of your team. Um, Is there a social aspect? Is Is there a Facebook group? Or, you know, how do you encourage people to continue along in this mission? Yeah, there's a very much a social aspect, and and I think that's what's kept it going is because these the people that we that have been in our program um, really like each other, and they like meeting up every week and going out in the you know doing this for a couple hours a week. And we with our new cohort that we are training currently, we started a Facebook um, gr- closed Facebook group for them to communicate with each other, and um, you know it works really. I think that's what we're hoping is that they will, you know, find that social aspect of it that will keep them motivated. And Blair, you know, in terms of the, the data that you collect with all the mm-hmm. breadfruit, breadfruit trees, uh, what would be, a, you know, maybe an action that could be taken as a result of the data that you collect? I mean, how would it be able to inform some decision making? Sure. So we're hoping with the data at the end of the project is three years long, and we would like to map the data and so compare it geographically. So across the state, um, compare when does breadfruit fruit um, compared to its soil type, compared to its elevation, compared mm-hmm. to rainfall. And then we would like to provide that map to people who are trying to produce breadfruit. So farmers who are trying to produce it, people who are thinking about producing it, and they're like, well, I live over here. Um, what kind of variety is best? Mm-hmm. Uh, am I not in a good spot to to uh, to grow breadfruit? So 
with the overall goal just to get people to producing breadfruit more. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so for an example, there's like a Kona coffee belt where you understand this region is really good for this specific variety of coffee. You could identify across the islands like this is the breadfruit breadfruit belt. And, you know, if you want to get into uh, bulk uh, harvesting or growing of breadfruit, this might be a great place to do it. Exactly. Or or if if you are growing it, when to expect to have it be mm. fruiting. Mm-hmm. So where can people find out more about the breadfruit program? The easiest way to find it is to go on our social media sites on Facebook or Instagram and just type in Ulu Project. Ulu Project. Yes. Ulu Project. And we'll Very put the good. link for sure. Yeah. And uh, Jolie, how about the uh, Citizen Forester? Where can I sign up for the next training class? Um, you can go to our website, which is at smarttreespacific.org slash citizenforester. And we also have um, Facebook presence and Instagram at Smart Trees Pacific. All right. Very good. We'll definitely put all that uh, information up on the show notes for later on tonight. And, of course, Jolie Wanger and, uh, is with the Ka'ulunani Urban and Community Forestry Program. And, of course, Blair, Blair Langston is with SITAR. I want to thank you both for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week, and we're going to talk about the healthy aging gene. I need to learn more about that one. Hmm. And of course, if you missed any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on BiteMarksCafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at BiteMarks.org. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at BiteMarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Remember, you can catch our show using our new HPR app. Check it out. Our engineer is David Chong, and you can catch us here every Wednesday on HPR One. You stay safe, and we will see you back here next week for another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Those who